Welcome back to Integrity Performance, bringing integrity back to the fitness industry. I've got Evan Kistner with me today. He was on our first episode. He's the one with more certifications and accolades than I can count. Um, he didn't contribute a ton in the first episode. I think we kind of caught him off guard. Like he didn't a know little. <laughs> he was going to be involved in it. But he's here now, and we're going to talk about something that I think a lot of people have wanted us to talk about. We've gotten a ton of requests for, and we're going to talk about nutrition, um, fifths, or fifths, fifths. myths yes. in nutrition, um, supplements, and like just the stuff you don't need and the stuff that is being sold to us as like, a, like an easy fix or a fast fix. Um, we're going to get into maybe some workout myths, um, body fat reduction in food. It's going to be, it's going to be a lot of nutritional stuff. Um, so I want to start with, um, if anybody has seen that documentary or it's, it's actually considered a movie, um, the game changers on Netflix. If you look this thing up, it is considered a movie. Most people can't even consider it a documentary. And it's super influential. Like, Evan just watched it. I kind of wanted to eat a whole bunch of plants after watching it, to be honest. But then I had to think, well, I should probably do the research on it. Because as a movie, it's definitely going to appeal to everybody because of all of the production. So if, if you guys, anyone listening hasn't watched it, I do recommend watching it. It is really good. And it is the perfect example of where we are in the fitness industry today, right? A bunch of people who can sound like they know what they're talking about can be really influential and make you feel like you should be doing something, but maybe it's not the best for you, right? And that's almost the entire fitness industry. And this documentary is a really good example of that. Um, it's basically, it pushes a vegan agenda really, really hard. It's not even talking about vegetarianism or no. an omnivorous diet. It's it literally vegan. All plant. All plant. And so if you watch it, like, it is really compelling. Like, it makes you feel like you should not eat meat anymore. Right. And it's not total bullshit, but, but, it's, but it's a lot of bullshit. I felt a little uncomfortable because I'm like, man, I've known meat my entire life, especially coming from Southwest Kansas where agriculture is such a big deal. Right. You grew up in cattle country. Exactly. So this, this movie, um, it's really well shot. Like it's really well produced. They bring up, um, they bring in like bodybuilders and Olympic athletes and UFC fighters and Arnold Schwarzenegger makes an appearance. They had some ultra marathoners too, so really big on the endurance athletes as well. But everything was the big common denominator was they're all high level athletes. All elite athletes. And so you watch this and it's like, okay, they all switched to plant based diets and they all started performing better. And that's basically what the documentary is about. Yep. So if you go and really do the research most of these athletes they use in this documentary either own or own stake in companies that sell vegan products, vegan meal plans, vegan something. And I had no idea about that until like five minutes ago because I just watched it, so I haven't looked into it at all. So nobody's going to do that upon watching that movie. No, no one's going to take the time to, to look at the, the articles that they talk about. Or to look up the individuals that they reference. But that in and of itself destroys its credibility. 
100%. If this documentary or this movie was created to push a vegan agenda and most of the people that are a part of the movie will make money on people being vegan. Always comes back to money. (laughs) Always money. It's crazy. And when you look, if you look up the, uh, there's two producers. If you look up the producers, one of them has worked with James Cameron on the Avatar movie, the Transformers movies. And so like, he's really good at making movies. And it's a really good production. And it's very believable. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the other things that it's been highly scrutinized for are if you look at, you kind of look up some of the research they they reference. Um, It's very shallow research. Um, Some of the stuff they talk about, um, they use very, very few participants in the studies. Um, They haven't been replicated Mm -hmm. very many times. And so they, they don't use... The best research now. Now the research was good. Like they did right. use good stuff. It just hasn't been proven multiple times, mm-hmm. and it hasn't been proven effective with large populations of people. Just a very few number of people. Yeah, and I mean every every college research class that you take, they kind of tell you, "Hey, it's a good source if it's been peer reviewed and replicated." Replicated. So they already knocked those two things down with all their research right. already. So, but no, not everyone's going to know that. So they're just going to believe it. And that's the whole thing with the information age we live in now. If you see something, oh, that looks good. So it must be right. Oh yeah. We live in this golden age of information and most of it's crap. Yeah. But like, (laughs) like people don't know how to decipher good from bad. Mm -hmm. And so someone that we know watches this documentary and is like, dude, I'm going to switch to plant-based diet. And I actually like, had a client who watched it. And right. Said, I'm going to stop eating meat. And I said, why? <laughs> I've had really good friends who were like, dude, you got to watch this documentary. Like, I'm going to switch to a plant-based diet. And I'm like, no, like, let's, let's, let's dive into this Take thing a, a little bit deeper. <laughs> but that's the entire industry we live in. Like, mm-hmm. good luck walking into GNC and not walking out with $200 worth of bullshit that you don't need. I've been there before. Because they are so <laughs> good at selling you. Like, we just live in this world of sales where everyone's trying to sell something and no one actually cares how successful you are. Yeah. Um, the two other – there was two studies done – during this movie, so one was the erections. Yeah. Right? They had these athletes. What was it? Two people was all? Three. They yeah, did three have people. Three. They looked like they were all college, former college athletes or something of that nature. And they had them switch to plant-based diet for however amount of time. Well, so it was, it was a two-day study. So the first day, they gave them burritos. Um, one had... Beef, the other one had chicken, the other one had pork. But basically the same burritos, just the meat was switched out. And then that first night, they, they had some device that recorded their erections overnight. And then the next day, all they did was change the meat to a plant-based meat substitute and then did the same thing. And so it was just a two-night deal. Okay, so we've got a study that lasted 48 hours. Yeah. We've got three participants. Apparently, there is a tool to measure how long you had a boner overnight. Yeah, it's like two cock rings, so. So, so, so like, no equipment validity, um, whatever. They, they tried to say that these people, put, or I guess, had longer erections or more erections on a plant, on a meat substitute for and one. harder meat. ones. Too. And a harder erection, okay. Yeah. Like, if you can watch this and not be like, this is bullshit. Like, like that's ridiculous. Um, the problem is... 
if you look at it and you believe it, okay, it's very pseudoscience. Like they did not control for any other variable. Like if you gave me a bunch of broccoli and a Viagra, I guarantee I would have tested a lot positive, all, a lot higher also. Exactly. So broccoli gives you better boners apparently. And so <laughs> apparently that's the world we live in where we just draw correlations from stuff that we didn't actually control well enough to draw right. correlation from, right? right? And so it was just pseudoscience. Um, the other one was the, the clear blood plasma. Mm-hmm. So they, they took blood samples on regular diets, then switched them to plant-based diets and took blood samples and then showed how much clearer the blood plasma was. Again, that was two days. So very short. One meal. One meal. And <laughs> like, come all, on. Of, all of them were Miami Dolphins players. So they had one guy who's been, mind you, been on a plant-based diet for four years already. And then the, so they kept giving him obviously the plant-based stuff. And then the other two, they had a meat meal day one and then a plant-based meal day two. And it it showed clearer blood plasma. Yeah, basically they were saying the fat content coming from animals is going to make that plasma cloudier as opposed to the healthy fats like the avocado that was in the burrito is not going to have that same effect. That's basically what they were talking about with that one. What, and what they don't talk about is, okay, we're all samples centrifuged for the, long, the same amount of time. Was one sat out to settle longer? No idea. Like, there was no talk of climate, hydration, which would be a big one one. for blood plasma. Um, There was no talk about any other consumption of anything. There was no talk about sleep. Like, they did not control for anything. Right. Except, so it was just, it wasn't scientific procedure. It's absolutely not believable. Um, Again, watch the documentary. It is is entertaining, um, but it's crap. Like... It's just trying to sell and push a, a vegan agenda, and it does not talk about the wealth of information that talks about eating meat being just fine. Oh, yeah. It's very one-sided. I mean, it's like all plants are nothing, essentially, and they bring in, of course, the environmental effect of uh, all the animals and how it's so much worse than all of our transportation mo- modes of like planes, trains, cars. Um, so they're, they're really just bashing... Um, the meat industry in it and it's and I understand if you're trying to push all plant diet you're gonna go and be biased towards that but you also have to look at both sides for it to be more like any one really good debate if you're arguing a point you have to argue for the other point as well always always right and this doesn't do that and so it's don't believe like don't believe it if you want like you can obviously be extremely healthy eating a vegan diet it's extremely Mm. difficult the other thing that we kind of talked about before we started recording, um, everyone they used was an elite level athlete. Right. Okay, well, that's they're mutants, so they don't work the <laughs> same way that we do anyway. Exactly. But they have huge incomes. They have teams of chefs, teams of nutritionists, teams of dietitians, and they are all coming together to create a perfectly balanced vegan diet. So, yes, if you give me limitless funds and a limitless team to prepare my meals. Oh, yeah. I guarantee I'm going to be healthy no matter what diet you put me on. But for the lay person, a vegan diet is extremely hard to get enough protein. It's extremely hard to get enough vitamin B12. It's extremely hard to get healthy fats and fatty acids. And it's expensive. And it's super expensive. Good quality food is not cheap, especially in America. So like the average person could not do this nearly as successful as somebody who's got limitless resources. Well, think of Tom Brady. 
they, right. they go about how all of his meals are prepared by a chef. Hundred percent. Yeah, he's a he's a what is he worth like four hundred million dollars? Like him and his wife? A lot of zeros. It's all yeah, if I had that much money, my nutrition would be amazing. Yeah. I wouldn't do anything for myself. Exactly. I'd be perfect. It's just not practical. So like, don't get caught up. And that like kind of brings us into this next thing. There's so many myths with nutrition, and that's just the newest one. Trying to basically the whole point of it is trying to sell meat substitute and sell vegan products because all those people own stakes in those companies. Yeah. And so that if that's all you knew about it, that destroys its credibility. And, and like, we do not need to to look into that any further. It's just not a hundred percent true. Table that discussion. <laughs> um, however, there's a ton of other diets. There's keto, and there's paleo, and there's intermittent fasting, and there's I don't know. There was like Mediterranean. Like there was like a South Beach crap where you just drank this like South Beach thing. Juice cleanses. Like there's so much stuff out there, and like all like everyone just thinks they can just say the word research and it becomes believable. Like, well, I read this research. I'm like, I'm glad you're literate. (laughs) I'm glad you can read. I'm glad you can read words. That doesn't mean you know if it was good research or not. Right. Here's the thing with these diets is it's Schrodinger's cat. Like. They all work, and they all don't work. Mm-hmm. It's so subjective. So, like, when you – what works best for you individually to maintain your health? Well, when I think of I – I mean, obviously, I hate the word diet because diet is very short-term. It's something that begins and ends, and I don't want to be in that mindset. True. The word diet, by definition, has a terminus. It has yeah. an end. Yeah, and so – So, what's, let's not call it that. So, let's, what's the best way for you to eat – to maintain your ability, mm-hmm. uh, healthy body fat percentage, um, to feel good, have energy. Because a lot of these quote-unquote diets will absolutely destroy your energy level. Oh, 100%. So me, when I was full-time training um, at the gym for 12 to 16 hours a day, starting early morning, ending up in the evening, I personally would not be able to survive if I was in an intermittent fasting realm because I wouldn't have any energy for my early morning people and I would be starving and no one's ever fun to be around when they're starving um, the term hangry comes to mind um, but for for me I feel like eating every two three hours um, obviously not crazy portions now I'm not perfect so sometimes I go to Taco Bell and have four or five items off that menu literally talking but, about what he did today which I did today <laughs> And you know I'm really not that shameful about it, so you do you do we, pretty damn well. We move on, but yeah, and I'm not I'm not a big fan of measuring because I go back to sustainability. If I was so focused on my numbers, unless I was trying to drastically change my body, um, I would not want to stick with it because I'd get tired of counting everything, portioning out everything. So basically, I eyeball it. I try not to eat a bunch of junk, but the big thing is. I keep eating every couple hours because that's the best way to maintain my energy levels throughout the day. I usually don't feel super crazy bloated and I feel like I'm utilizing everything I'm putting in my body. And I mean, so there's really not a name for that. I'm just eating, honestly, like throughout the day and not getting too crazy. Well, small portions with increased frequency. Yeah, and I mean, that's kind of how we should eat. And if we're talking about keeping our metabolism where it needs to be, um, especially for maintenance, but for me, energy levels are super important. And if I was low, car- I've tried low carb when I'm trying to like shred up for summer because everyone wants to look good in a swimsuit in summer. Well, not everyone, but I do. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I did not have hardly any energy. Um, my workouts started sucking. I feel like I was weak. 
And so I knew that the fuel I was putting in my body was not helping me maintain performance at all. And that's a, that's a big thing. A lot, of, a lot of people want to change their body comp, but then you don't really take into account performance or how they feel when they're eating a certain way. And that goes back to the sustainability of how you're eating. Can you keep that up and like be happy or even healthy in some instances? Well, if you can't do it forever... Why do don't it? do it exactly because you're gonna collapse back the opposite direction like I'm the same way I eat probably seven to eight times a day like for me and, and you kind of touched on metabolism we live in this diet culture and we live in this culture where everyone thinks that lower calorie is better mm-hmm. if you go too low calorie your body gets into this mode where it thinks it just needs to save mm-hmm. everything that you're eating because it's like a it doesn't know when you're going to eat again, essentially. Yeah. So it's just preparing to survive based off of you not giving so it very it much. So it stores that as stored energy. Stored energy in your body is fat. Yeah. That's body fat. So if you eat too little, in fact, I, I had, I was working with a, a guy today who was eating 1,400 calories huh. a day. He's like, how tall is he? 6'2", 6'3"? He is... He was upped to close to 1,800 calories and lost like seven pounds in three weeks. His body was no longer in this survival mode of store everything because I'm not getting enough. And if I have to go into like fight or flight response, I'm going to need energy, so store it. Yeah. Right? When you go too low calorie, it starts to affect your hormones also. So your cortisol will go up because you don't have enough energy to maintain and that's a stress. Mm -hmm. Your testosterone levels will reduce because you're, you don't have enough energy to burn excessive amounts. And so your body is not going to replenish this, this hormone that creates tissue and burns calories because it's trying to save. And so if you're really, really calorically restricted, it's going to mess up your hormone levels. right? And you probably will lose, lose weight. But then the second you like look at the wrong food, you'll gain all that weight back. Oh, 100%. And so sustainability, like you said, is absolutely everything. The best nutrition is whatever you can stick to forever, right? Now you've got to make healthier options, obviously, but like when you look at every single one of these diets, it's literally just caloric restriction because almost everybody's probably eating a little bit too much. Yeah. So intermittent fasting. You remove eight hours, maybe 12 hours a day that you're allowed to consume. Yeah, so you still might honestly be eating a decent amount when you are eating, but because you're already shrinking the window, you're not going to eat as many calories as you were if you had a full day to do so. So just back to point A, it's still calorie restriction. Calorie restriction. When you look at keto, it completely removes carbohydrate as an option. There's calories and carbs. <laughs> so yeah, so you remove, so you've got proteins, fats, and carbohydrates, and keto removes carbohydrates. Yeah, you're not going to eat as much. Yeah. Right? Paleo is, as we were looking at it, it's actually not a bad option, but it removes grains, so you can't eat bread. Okay, well, look at the typical American diet and how much of your daily intake is some kind of bread. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it removes bread. There's a caloric restriction. Yep. Right? And so, like, realistically, Syracuse University uh, put out this really, really cool tracking study. And it's been a long time ago now. But they, they kind of came to the conclusion that if you write down, like, if you're aware of what you're eating every day, if you changed nothing but just wrote everything down, the average individual will consume two to 300 less calories. Like it's just being aware of what you're eating. And that's what these, these, these diets do. Mm-hmm. They make you more aware. They either cut out time or they cut out a macronutrient, but they make you aware of what you're eating instead of just eating aimlessly. 
right? So realistically, like what I tell my clients is like write down what you're eating and let's find out what your average is because if you deviate too far off your average, you will rebound just as far the other direction. Right. I guarantee it. That's, that's how we work as people. We progress or regress from the mean, from the average. And if we bounce one direction too far, we will boomerang back in the direction too far before we eventually get back to our average. And so if you want to choose a diet, you just have to urge your average in one direction. Not drastic, because not drastic. Too much or too little of one thing is never really good. Right. So if you would like to lose weight, start by just cutting sugar. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like the two worst things you can put in your body for health and physique are sugar and alcohol, right? And alcohol isn't even from a calorie perspective. When you consume alcohol, the byproduct um, acetylcholine accumulates. The accumulation of this chemical slows down or stops your body's ability to use fat as a substrate for 24 to 48 hours. So after a night of drinking, you will not burn fat for maybe two days. And it also shuts off your ability to produce proteins, protein synthesis, so you will not generate any muscle tissue for one to two days. So recovery would be in turn effective. Your recovery is shot, you're not burning fat, and it takes almost two days to totally recover from that. Yeah. Talk about bounce back. Not the good kind. Exactly. <laughs> and so I don't even care about the calories from alcohol. I care about the passive effects mm-hmm. of alcohol. So that's really damaging if you, and, and really depressing. Like if you're trying to lose a bunch of weight, yeah. like we talked last week about breaking, smashing plateaus, and it's, it's mental. It's 100% all mental. Oh, yeah. And if you're sticking to this diet and you're sticking to this diet and you're sticking to this diet, but you're drinking on Fridays and you're not losing weight, you're going to lose your mind. And you're going to crash off of this diet. And then, again, I don't care how you look. I care how well you are. And now your mental and physical wellness just took a hit. Right. You feel defeated and you give up on this venture. Exactly. Um, sugar is, is maybe maybe worse. Um, I'll never tell anyone to completely stop doing anything. I had drinks last night with my buddy. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a few beers. Um, I, we ate some wings. Like I ate poorly. Today is going to be really good. I've been really, really well today. I'm going to recover from that. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to get back into my normal nutrition. But... I'm not just going to totally give that up. Like, I'm going to do it within reason. Think about, like, your sanity and happiness, too. If right. That, if being social and that's what you do and you're social, like, why take that out? Because if you be get depressed, you're not going to chase a fitness goal. Oh, yeah, because then your cortisol is going to shoot through the roof. Yeah, you got to be happy. Like, you got to do the things that you enjoy. Mm-hmm. But let's stop saying, I'm going to try this diet, or I'm going to try this diet, or I'm going to try this diet. They all work and they all don't work. It's, yeah. it's very subjective. Now, if you want to try intermittent fasting, I know some people that do it and they're really successful with it. It might work for you. It might not work for you. Try it for two weeks. Record everything. Record what you're eating. Record how you feel. Record if your workouts are doing well. Like Journal these things. Go back after two weeks and decide, is this working for me? Is this something I can stick to or is it not? Big thing is give it the full two weeks and don't give it a week and be like, no, I'm done. Because things in the body take time. It takes time. But if you absolutely hate it after a week, you're never going to stick to it forever That's anyway. True. Yeah. So like you got to, again, regression and progression from the mean. Like figure out what you're doing and make a little change. Like this is a lifetime thing. Like if we get bombarded with these commercials and ads on TV that are saying like easy fix or fast fix, like that's not real. It's a marathon, not a sprint. That doesn't <laughs> exist. And if someone's trying to sell you on how great this program is or how fast this works or how easy this is, 
they're selling you something, they're not looking out for your well-being. Yep. It all comes back to the dollar sign. It's all sales. Yep. Everything is sales. sales. Let's focus on the individual and making them better without buying crap or, or giving in to crap. Um, and so let's let's go ahead and transition into supplements. Brings to the fat burners. <laughs> yeah, fat burners and um, creatine is a hotly contested one. Um, again, so GNC, interestingly, just I think they just filed a Chapter 7 bankruptcy. So they didn't go full-blown bankrupt, but I think they're forced to close 1,200 locations nationwide and restructure their business and look for, for private investors. That's saying something. That's saying something. <laughs> and so when you go to GNC, they use tactics to make you feel stupid, to make them sound smart, and to get you bought to buy a bunch of stuff you don't need. Mm-hmm. What supplements do you use? Um, all I use is protein. Um, sometimes a pre-workout, very rarely, just if I feel like I have no energy. Um, Sometimes probiotics, that's multivitamin, that's about it. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Like, I'll use a pre-workout because, but you do not need a pre-workout. No, 100% not. Like, it's literally just a stimulant. Like, yeah. it's mostly just caffeine, right? And and there is a lot of research that shows that caffeine consumption before a workout probably will drive better performance. But if you're not a person that needs that, don't, don't do waste it. your money on it. And a lot of people that are starting a fitness journey and they go to a supplement store, they're going to push, hey, get this pre-workout because it's going to make your workouts better and all this. And you don't even know how you respond to that level of caffeine. And so it's Brew again, a pot of coffee, back to the sales. Have a pot of co- or have a glass, cup of coffee and go work out. Like okay. if that's enough stimulant for you, then that's great. Yeah. Right? If you don't need more than that, don't spend the money on it. You don't need it. Exactly. Um, multivitamins and fish oils. Mm-hmm. I too use both of those. So there was some really cool research um, years ago. I, this is probably outdated now, but back back then, and it's probably still relatively true, um, the FDA put together, um, do you know what, of course you know, um, not everyone knows what RDAs are, recommended daily allowances, or RDIs, um, recommended daily intakes. So there's a minimum RDI for my, micronutrients, like vitamin A's, vitamin C's, water-soluble, fat-soluble vitamins, if you were to meet all of your RDIs for all micronutrients, guess how many calories on average you would have to consume in just food to get all of those? <laughs> a lot. It's, almost, it's over 4,000 calories. And that's like two days for some people. That's, that's probably more than two days for the regular human being. Yeah, that's so, crazy. So the point is like we have massively depleted our soils. We have figured out really good techniques for prolonging shelf life and making preservatives and trans fats. And our food is just not as nutrient dense as it used to be, right? Trying to change your body's composition is hard. Very. <laughs> Trying to do it without enough micronutrition is impossible. I very much recommend a multivitamin. Yeah, take, take care of your bases, essentially. Exactly, get your micronutrition first. So my morning routine involves, and my, my multivitamin actually includes fish oil. So I don't have two different products. I have one. And, and that's about all that I take for supplementation. Yeah. Um, protein is, is a really hotly contested one. Um, so not all proteins are created equal and you probably don't need the top end one. Yeah. 
right? I don't ever get an isolate. I don't get an isolate. Like if JJ Watt takes an isolate, that's probably great. His nutrition's probably perfect and he's an elite level athlete. I ate wings and I'm probably gonna eat pizza tonight. Like I don't need the highest (laughs) quality protein. Like if I'm gonna use protein. So you can look at macronutrient distribution or you can look at like the minimum required protein for sustainability. Like my protein requirement is about 1.5 grams per kilogram of body weight. So if I take my body weight of 240 pounds and divide that by 2.2, that gives me kilograms. I'm probably 102, 104 kilograms if I did that math in my head right. Multiply that by 1.5 and I'm close to 160 grams of protein a day. That's what I need as somebody who's regularly active to generate more muscle tissue or to keep what I've got. Right. Right. And so if I can get 160 grams through just food, then that's perfect. That's I great. don't need a supplemental protein. Exactly. Right. And I know my body doesn't digest supplemental protein very well. Yeah. I spend a lot of time in the bathroom. Like I, I don't <laughs> get the like bubble guts. I, yeah, my stomach gets bubbly. And so I try not to consume, like, I, I will use protein bars just to get a yeah. meal in real quick. Because I have, I'll get up and make breakfast at like four o'clock in the morning. Usually my second meal is a protein bar because I'm in between yep. clients. Yep. Um, my next meal is usually like a ground turkey, rice, broccoli with some kind of fat. Um, and then I usually do that again. And then I might have another bar. And then I get home and eat. I usually eat my breakfast again or been eating a lot of frozen pizza lately. <laughs> um, but that's my seven meals. It puts me between four and five, sometimes four and 6,000 calories. Right. To maintain my body weight and I get my 160 to 170 grams of protein in through that right um, so I don't typically use a protein yeah and I mean I like think of it supplemental protein just as what it is if you're not getting it through your food then yeah it's okay to supplement that in especially if you're on the go all the time and can't sit down for meals all the time so all my busy people I'd always say hey get some protein quick shake you can definitely drink something when you're on the go so it's it's more of a convenience there, but if you can get it through your food, I 100% recommend that over supplementing it. Right. And again, the word supplement. Exactly. It's supplemental. Right like yes. if you don't need it, don't feel the need to need it. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a bridge over a gap if you need that. If that gap doesn't exist, then tremendous. Now there's a gap in micronutrition. We have to bridge that with a multivitamin. Right. There is, you said a probiotic, I take a probiotic also, um, just to hopefully help me digest my food better and get the nutrition out of it um, that I'm actually utilizing rather than just wasting. And so I, again, the only things I take are, well, fish oil, multivitamin, probiotic. Probiotic, yeah. That's two things. That's, for me, that's two products. And they're not crazy high dollar things either. No, I think I probably spend $40, $50 a month maybe on those things. And in in my mind, those are essential and I need those. Yeah, then you get into fat burner world where they're selling you on being able to have a quick fix. And those (laughs) are like 70, 80 bucks for like a month's supply. And all it is is caffeine. It's fat burners are not actively burning fat. No. (laughs) So like that is not what they're doing. They give you this dose of caffeine to make you jittery and to hopefully make you move more so that you will lose weight. Mm-hmm. 
you do not need a fat burner. If we we could start talking about probably overconsumption of caffeine at some point, um, yeah. but you do not need those things. Those are, if it sounds like a quick fix, it's, it's clear. It's bullcrap. <laughs> like you don't need those. Um, yeah, and and then creatine is a big one too. So. We can start to look at, we can start to get kind of advanced in our topics of nutrition. So when you look at, there's three energy pathways that our body creates ATP to use for, for exercise, for activity, for um, vital function, for energy, for anything, right? If you do something for 10 seconds or less, you are using the creatine phosphorylation pathway to create ATP for a very short amount of time. Like Usain Bolt. Fastest man in history. Yeah. He 10 only, seconds. He only has to run for 10 seconds or less and he's done. That's he's it. done. He clocks into work, clocks back out 10 seconds. Later. Yeah. Like, he is somebody who would probably benefit from a creatine supplementation mm-hmm. because he's all velocity, all power output for short bursts. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, you do use the creatine phosphorylation pathway for every single muscle contraction you do, but you get help from other pathways right. and so creatine being present in the bloodstream is not the limiting factor if you're doing something longer than 10 seconds. You can think of it as like a stair step because you're going to utilize that system so you're going to do something for more than 10 seconds if you're working out so where do you go next? You can't just get it off from that. Right. So You, you would fatigue really fast. Yeah, you'd be toasted. If you tried to rely on that energy pathway. Then there's the anaerobic pathway. So that's that next step up. Right. And so this is where we get really important to consider carbohydrate versus fat consumption. Mm-hmm. So the anaerobic pathway uses glycogen, uses carbohydrate to produce ATP. And anaerobic without oxygen. Without oxygen. Then there's the aerobic pathway. After we get 20 minutes or longer, we switch over to a fat utilization if we're doing something for a long duration. Now, if you're doing something really, really intense, there's no way you can do that for longer than 20 minutes. Right. Go ahead. Sprint maximum speed for 20 minutes. <laughs> Not going to happen. I'll pass on that Like, one. if Usain Bolt ran a marathon, he'd be really bad at it. <laughs> He's really yeah. good for 100 yards. Right? And so we get into these different energy pathways. So when you look at consumption, when you look at creatine, if somebody like Usain Bolt is running... A hundred one hundreds. He needs an excess amount of creatine. So the way creatine works, supplements are all passive. Creatine does not make you bigger or stronger. It provides a, what would have been the limiting factor to be able to be present to make energy so that you can do maybe another one rep. Mm-hmm. Right? And so that passively might then yield results in power or strength. Right. Right. So you've got basically as you use ATP, as you use energy, the way that that works is one of those phosphates, adenosine triphosphate, gets cleaved off. And that cleaving of that phosphate creates energy. And that's what you use is the energy from dropping that third phosphate. Yep. Okay. Now you've got ADP. So two phosphates left. Two phosphates left on the adenosine. Right, and that has to be recycled. So, it, uh, a inorganic phosphate has to be then put back onto the ADP through some kind of protein engine. 
and then be available to use again to cleave off and use for energy. Right. And the way that works in this system is that inorganic phosphate is not by itself. It has to be combined to a creatine molecule. So now you've got creatine phosphate. Mm -hmm. That goes through its protein engine. It removes the phosphate from the creatine, puts it back on the ADP, and now you have ATP available for energy. Yep. Right? The limiting factor in that process is there's a bunch of inorganic phosphate floating around. There's not a bunch of inorganic creatine sitting around. And so once you use up that reserve, you cannot use that pathway to continue making ATP. So the idea is that if you take a bunch of exogenous creatine, you have more sitting there available to mop up those used phosphates to put back into the system to create an ATP. That's a science lesson for you. <laughs> I know that was, <laughs> that was a lot. But if you are not, do, if you are not like a power lifter doing a one rep, Think explosive movements. Explosive, powerful movements. Really heavy weights for one. If you're doing stuff repeatedly that takes more than 10 seconds to do, creatine is not your limiting factor. You don't need it. So creatine is not something that a lot of people need. Now, if you get into a power phase in your program, high velocities, really high energies, um, doing stuff at maximum efforts for 10 seconds, Yes, that is something that might help your performance, and you should consider that um, to aid you in your workouts. Yeah. I remember, I think that was a big fad when I, I was in high school and the football players, everyone was taking creatine. They're like, it's going to make my muscles big. I'm going to be so strong. And then once you learn about it, you're like, wow, you guys are done. Yeah, <laughs> they got sold. Yeah. Like, welcome to our world. Especially like as a high school high schooler they're not going to oh, know yeah. chemistry and how that works in the body there's, and you go to no gnc way. and they're like oh yeah you should definitely be on creatine yeah bro. and it's cheap <laughs> so it's easy to sell to people exactly um yeah so let's look at um carbohydrate and fat consumption so if you have carbohydrate is used most of the time in your workouts like you're using carbohydrate most of the time you're probably not getting into all fat utilization, you're probably not at 60% heart rate for 20 to 30 minutes nonstop. Right. And so yes, you're using fat, you're always using all three systems a little bit. But most of the time, if we're in the weight room, or we're doing something with resistance training, now for you runners, you probably are using mostly beta oxidation, which is aerobic, which is fat utilization. Yes. Right. But for me, being a powerlifter, weightlifter, I need a lot of carbohydrate. I'm using power output from an anaerobic system a lot, right? And so I, we just calculated that my nutrition is about 17% carbohydrate or 17% protein. protein yeah. Probably 60 to 80% of my intake every day is carbohydrate. Mm -hmm. A lot of rice, a lot of oats, um, a lot of pizza. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, it's a lot of those very branch chain complex carbohydrates that my body uses mm -hmm. um, for energy in my lifts. And so if I do like a keto diet, you would die. <laughs> I would lose so much strength so uh, fast yeah. and I would be so irritated and I need my carbohydrate. Now, I'm not carrying a significant amount of extra body fat. Right. And so look at what you're doing. Like let's look at not just nutrition for weight loss, but for nutrition for performance. If you're a runner 
you probably could go a little bit more keto side of things because your body needs that fat consumption to use in that beta oxidation, to use that fat for energy because you're doing more aerobic work. Yeah, any kind of endurance athletes, anytime you're working out for a really long period of time and not maximal effort, you got you need fat. You just need fat. You absolutely, you need high fat. Now we live in a world of fat being a very taboo word. Right. But you need, like there's, for everyone who wants to look this up, unsaturated fats are really, really good fats and healthy for your heart. Saturated and trans fats are really, really unhealthy, and that's the fat that you need to avoid. Avocado, great. Mm-hmm. Coconut oils, nuts, nuts, healthy fats. Um, so look at the difference in the fats you're consuming. And again, track this stuff. Write this stuff down. Like, know how many calories you're consuming. Right? Endurance athletes need more fat. That's the system their body's using for, for, for performance. Weightlifters probably need more carbohydrate, right? People who are just trying to lose weight, just track what you're eating. Yeah. Right? And that's that's the accountability aspect because if you are eating poorly, you're going to see it on the page and then you might get that, oh, crap, I ate that and it's on the paper, so maybe I need to cut that out. Yeah, you need to own it. Yeah. Like I've got a lot of clients, if they're struggling, I make them text me every time they eat something. Mm-hmm. What are you eating? Because if you have to tell me what you just ate, the odds are that you're not going to eat something bad. Exactly. And if you do, you're going to be like, crap. I have to text Now I'm going to tell them. Now. Or if I don't get a text from somebody around a mealtime, I know lying. it was bad because <laughs> they didn't want to tell me what it was. Exactly. But, and you know what? If they eat bad, I don't get mad at them for it. It happens. It's, a, it's 100% it happens. what happens. And is it just, is this week's average intake worse or better than last week? Right. Back to that. That's what Back we're looking me. for, right? Mm-hmm. Not these massive swings. Little swings, because we're gonna deviate back to our back to our average. We have to change the average. Um, do you want to get into epoch and body fat reduction? I mean, we can. <laughs> you want to talk about it? Um, oh no. <laughs> okay. So when we look at like, there's this huge idea that like doing cardio is what's best for body fat reduction. And so everybody, July 1st, is going to run a lot. They're going to start being a runner this year, right? So there's this concept called exponential post-exercise oxygen consumption. Or EPOC. EPOC, (laughs) EPOC. We're going to correlate just for this sake. We're going to say that oxygen consumption equals metabolism, okay? When you do a bout of weightlifting or resistance training of some kind, your muscles have to recover from that. So there's this caloric expenditure, there's this oxygen intake being used for that recovery process, and that takes energy, right? Now our bodies use, our body would prefer to use fat as energy because one, one cycle of beta oxidation yields over 100 units of energy. One cycle of anaerobic glycolysis yields 36. And so it's for the same amount of work, you get a third of the amount of energy when you use carbohydrate. However, it's way quicker. And so when we're doing something like weightlifting, it's easier to get that carbohydrate to use for energy, right? That's why it takes so long to rev that fat usage up 20 to 30 minutes before you're really using it because it's just, it's not as quick, but your body prefers it, right? So when you're at rest right now, you and me are sitting here, right? 
I'm a little bit animated when I talk, and maybe I'm not at rest, but you are. <laughs> Your body is using fat right now to maintain vital function and to keep you awake and your heart beating and breathing and seeing and all that. Right. right. Now, your metabolic rate, you might be using very little fat or you might be using a little bit more fat, right? Well, this exponential post-exercise oxygen consumption is a short-term increase in metabolism so that you're burning a little bit more fat for a, a prolonged amount of Period time, right? after you're done exercising. After you're done exercising, right? So if you look at resistance training, it yields a higher epoch for, I don't know, 24, maybe 48 hours post-workout. So you're burning more fat at rest. Cardiovascular exercise does not yield that same increase in oxygen consumption. So once you're done with a bout of cardiovascular exercise, fat burn is done, Right? When you're done with a bout of resistance training exercise, fat burn is not done. It stays elevated for at least a day to help recover, right? And so if we do most of our fat burning at rest, the goal would be to get our metabolism up at rest Mm -hmm. to burn more fat passively. So resistance training, weights or otherwise, be it Pilates or be it whatever you choose, is a more efficient way of burning fat. You could even get into basal metabolic rate. You could get into basal metabolic rate. Too. And so that's, uh, yeah, I mean, as, you, as you're in recovery, your basal metabolism is higher. We need to do cardiovascular work so that we can work out at a higher capacity in our resistance training programs. Right. Right? So if, if my cardio is really bad. Which most of the time it is. Which a lot of time <laughs> mine's not great. My workouts will not be able to go as long. So maybe I can work out 30 minutes really good. Well, if, if I'm trying to work on my deadlift or get my squat up or work something, I need more time than that. Like my cardio can't give way. I need to be able to work out at the intensity level I want for about an hour mm-hmm. to, be, to really get through everything I want to get through. And so if my cardiovascular is, is struggling, I do need to do more cardio so that I can get where I want in my workouts and then have my metabolism at a higher rate over a, a couple of days. Right. Right. Now there's a difference between cardio and conditioning, mm-hmm. right? And everyone's like, what's the best way to burn fat? Like hit training? Well, hit the, the term hit is so bastardized. Like sprint as hard as you possibly can. Rest for a little bit, do it again. Yeah, not possible. <laughs> right? If you are gonna if you're gonna go high intense and give an absolute all out effort, it's gonna be minutes for you to recover. Like, that's brutal. It's going to take, we're talking like 30 to 45 second work intervals with like five minute recovery periods. Yeah. And that's great for performance. It's probably not sustainable for someone who is trying to lose weight. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're not in the best shape, this is not your exercise selection. That's like, I need to get my Division I soccer player at a higher level so they can last 90 minutes on the soccer pitch. Right. Yes, you will burn fat because that also elicits a higher epoch, Mm -hmm. right? However, if we're going to do cardiovascular exercise long duration, I probably want like a 60 to 70% heart rate. I don't want anything really, really high level because I want you to be able to do it for a long period of time to get into that aerobic burn. And so we're looking like 45 minutes to an hour. Why don't you think about it? How long are you actually going to be doing exercises that require your heart rate to be maximal. Never. Exactly. I mean, realistically, never. Unless you're a professional athlete. Yeah. 
And even then, look at every single sport besides soccer is stop and go. Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, you look at some of these really elite runners, okay, yeah, they're, they're nonstop for two hours. But it's still not 90% of your heart rate. No, it's, it's 60 to intensity. 70% of their heart exactly. rate. I mean, it's, it's a relatively moderate heart rate range, mm-hmm. right? And that's where we, we kind of talk about these fat-burning zones. Everyone's different. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't just say 60% is your fat-burn zone. Like, everyone subjectively is going to be different. But it, again, goes back to your eating. Are you fueling mm-hmm. for these exercise selections and these performance selections that you're trying to make? Yeah. It's just, it's being educated. And there's a lot and of there's, information there's out there. so <laughs> much information. Like, I think the biggest thing is, like, we need to stop trying to follow these diets that have so much research. Like, mm-hmm. you are, like, something is going to work for you. I don't know what it is. You've got to experiment and figure that out. But, like, don't make an extreme switch. Oh, yeah. No. Don't buy all these supplements thinking they're going to help. Like, it's going to take consistency over time. It's going to take some sacrifice. Like, give up some sugar. Give up drinking for a while. Or drink one night a week or have two drinks instead of four. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what healthy foods are and what healthy foods aren't. Like, if you want it bad enough to make these sacrifices and track this stuff, then you'll, you'll do, do it. it. Yeah. And it is hard. Like, oh, don't get me wrong. It is hard making these changes. And if you make too big of a change, you will give up on it. Oh, yeah. There is no easy fix. There is no easy button. It's tough. Sad fact of life. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> it's tough, man. We are in a country where we want everything handed to us easy and we'll buy something because they say this is this makes it fast and this makes it easy and you just have to take this pill and it's just it's just marketing it's just sales. Well, and look where we are with all the pandemic stuff. Like we're we're kind of behind. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Anything. <laughs> Cuz yeah, it's going to be hard to stay at home and do stuff like that and not everyone's down to do hard stuff. No. You know? If it's not easy, a lot of people aren't willing to do it. Exactly. So that's kind of where we're at. Here in America on July 4th. <laughs> yeah, our July 4th episode. We're indoors. I'm probably going to eat a pizza and watch Independence Day. There you go. <laughs> get get that theme in there. Watch some virtual fireworks or something. Yeah, there we go. Maybe I'll actually go watch uh, Game Changers. Oh, yeah, there you go. I haven't actually watched it. I know everything about it. I've just watched snippets. I've read all the reviews. I've done the research. I've not actually watched the production. Well, pop my cherry today, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why I got over here. Yeah, I'm like, man, nah, maybe I should prepare and know what's going on a little bit. Um, that's all I've got. You want to add anything else? Happy 4th of July. Happy 4th of <laughs> July. All right, that's it. Nutrition, supplements, and nutrition myths. See you next week.